A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is U2Y episode 3, where we will be talking in detail about U2's second full-length release, October. October is a standout release in the U2 back catalogue for various reasons. It is a somewhat maligned release, both sonically and aesthetically, from the music to to the sleeve you 2 themselves have made it clear that it's not their favourite record. They've spoken about the sleeve itself, and October, the record, has the least amount of representation in their their live outings over the last 30, 40 years. At the same time, this maligned release is a very important milestone in the U2 design trajectory, and we'll explore this in detail what it meant for U2's burgeoning creative control and contractual power with Steve Averill, U2's designer for over 40 years. So this is U2Y, episode 3, October. In a funny way, I think a lot of people write October off as the least important or least memorable cover, but the process was probably the most important one you worked on. So a boy has come, has, has been and gone. There's rumors of a second album. Can you can you remember um, anything from that conversation? No, I mean I think that um, what the, our conversation, um, as is often the case when we're talking about a new cover or where we're we're going with this whole thing, was um, related to other covers. Um, and this particular cover, um, in a sense, I think that the the, the Bono's an immediate. Um, Inspiration was a Bob Dylan album cover, um, where Bob Dylan is kind of walking in the in the street. You know, I think it was Free Will and Bob Dylan. I, I'm, I'll have to, I have to go and look at it, check it out. But where the titles were on the front cover, um, as af- often happened in albums in the mid '60s, the titles were, were were on the cover, and I think they wanted the same kind of um, as as 
Dylan was walking in the snow in New York, a sense of Dublin and a sense of them and a sense of um, what the place was was about. And also uh, after the boy cover, we we kind of felt that we they needed to kind of put themselves on the cover just to to establish who they were at the time. So the photographer was Ian Finley, um, who who I worked with a lot that I that I engaged to do this cover. So do you, I mean I think from reading up about this period of time, it seemed like maybe the most confused in a sense. There was a bit of an identity crisis going on. Uh, I mean I think October is a very strong title. Well, it it it, it was both the time and obviously um, in talking in various incarnations of the earlier, as we talked about it, it it also spun over into the Russian October Revolution. Um, which had a certain influence on the typography. I, I, I wanted. There is a shot in the in the YouTube by YouTube book when, taken on the same uh, sessions where they're in a old coal yard or coal dispensing unit, and the angles of the roof and everything else seemed to me to suggest something of the kind of angular work of Russian revolutionary posters, and I kind of wanted to to kind of bring a little bit of that to it, but I don't think it, it kind of got a, lo- a un- universal approval, so we went for this um, Dockland uh, image instead. And another thing to remember is that um, at this time, nine, in, in, in uh, that particular 1981, um, there was no internet, there was researching um, type typefaces and things like that was a lot more difficult um, mm. than now. I mean, I I sort of tried to find a, a typeface that, in a sense, had a slight suggestion of of Russian typography and things like that. And this particular typeface we found was was uh, uh, one that was available probably on Letraset or or in some easily obtainable way, mm. because as I say, you just simply the research facilities weren't there. I couldn't find a book at that stage uh, in in uh, in obviously in, in the library in Dublin on Russian revolutionary posters. I mean, since then, I've obviously um, I have found references and and that influence was there but i still like what we came up with the, the band are very hard are very hard on this cover in the youtube by youtube book you know bono comes out straight and says the cover was my fault and he says yeah i had this very strong feeling about docklands dublin and when Lane was on the docks in this particular area on the docks i used to walk during walk to during recording and look out into the grand canal for clues he says he, he says mm. it felt very special there there was a sort of industrial aesthetic there was something in the water for us with no signs of life. It's a nice way to lead into a place um, being important to a band's identity. I don't really know why they're giving the, the themselves or the cover such a hard time. I mean, Larry says, and straight afterwards, although it's not a particularly ingenious or clever album cover, there's no pretense. It's a picture of four guys with funny haircuts. I mean, again, I think he's being a little bit hard on it there because it, 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 it is without pretense. And that's why I like it. The images feel quite different to the images that we saw on Boy. It's 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 a less less defined aesthetic, but it's one that I think is still quite striking. In particular, I just wonder if the the pushback from the label at the time, which apparently was not just to do with the cover, was to do with the the album as well. I don't think they were crazy about it. I think Paul says himself that it was the roughest patch for the record company company because they didn't like what was going on aesthetically or sonically. And that's when they realized the importance of the of the pushback. Yeah. Sorry, that was a very long-winded ramble I went on there. No, no, there, there was problems. I mean, I, I felt uh, it was the one time I think I went over um, to deliver the artwork and they were 
and essentially downright rude to me. Um, they more or less totally dismissed me because the original idea, whether it would have been a good idea or a bad idea, was that um, Ian had taken a shot from the same position, Ian Finley, um, and the little promontory you see behind Adam's shoulder there, uh, he had shot a picture which is very similar to the to the image of the man with the dog where the band were standing on that promontory. And, and originally it was going to be a gatefold sleep and we were going to combine the two pictures so that you would see the band on the front and you'd also see the band on the back hmm. standing there as sort of shadows of themselves, which was kind of like interesting. But in ret- retrospect, I probably think it's probably better that it wasn't done that way. But the record just refused to even engage me in, in the conversation. They just, oh, no, we can't afford to do that. We can't do that or whatever. Um, where. I could see how easily it could be done because it was ex- an exact match. It just would have slotted into the, the back cover very, very easily. Um, but they dismissed that idea at all uh, of doing it. Um, Can you remember what the turnover was like? Was it a fast turnover? Um, I don't think there's ever been a fast turnover with a U2 release. I don't think they've ever delivered anything on time. So um, I, I don't think it, I think it was probably, again, like the Boy album cover, um, delivered on the last possible day that we could deliver it. Mm. Right. I mean, I think when I say fast turnover, turnover, I specifically mean with the artwork, you know, from concept to print. Um, uh, relatively fast because they were working away in the studio and, and, and we didn't need, have the, the budget or the time to go too far from the studio to interrupt what they were doing. So it was done during the recording session. And so maybe maybe unlike the future, it was a singular idea. You weren't pitching four or five different ideas it was it was very sort of singular from from the get-go pretty much so i mean as i say i i I think there was maybe a couple of ideas that were sketched out that could possibly work for the cover but it it this wasn't really the 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 image that was chosen and we worked with this from from fairly early on to get it to get it right you know Hmm. and i i still as you say i think it's an innocent image i think it works very very well it just it shows them very much as they were at that time um, and I think that's that's probably a good a good statement. Yeah, no, I, it's strange. I'm just looking looking at it now, and it's a combination of of innocence, and but it's also like I said, there's there's a slight identity crisis I think happening, and I, I could be just be saying that because I know what was going on during the time. You know, there's something a little a little less grounded about it, but it's tr- it's really trying to be grounded. Um, so there's, you know, maybe that gives it gives it an energy. I don't know. I think I think it has a certain vitality. In, in I mean, every, there's nobody looks bad in the picture. I think they all look good. Um, mm. But there is, you know, there's a difference between the way Adam is and say way way Bono is in terms of clothing. Um, mm. But um, I didn't detect disunity within the band mm. in the recording studio and in, in what what they were doing. And I do think that the the things like getting the guy in, and that, that was just a guy who was walking his dog. We stood in and, and uh, yeah, it's. I mean, that's what I was going to say. It's. It's almost like it's. It's. There's a sort of sense of humor in it in, in a way. It's. It's clear that they're not taking themselves too seriously by including that image. No, and and the other image of them actually down by the, the dock, and and uh, that was the small image on the back cover yeah. of it. Um, that's equally um, an interesting image because it really shows the landscape as it was then. Be- pre-development it was kind of like a, a very rundown part of the of the city that they were working yeah in. and i have to say i know it's very different now but but i haven't been down there just before it got kind of crazy with the uh building boom it was a sort of a strangely special place you know dublin being a port town it's kind of where the ships came in and out like there was something there was an energy down there and i and i and 
as was seen in the photographs that, that the Grand Canal docks, the actual sign, it's quite yeah. a sort of iconic place. Yes, it's very close to that to, to that sign. The sign is on sort of the other side of of, of yeah. the, the the little um, bridge there that, that they walked across. But um, it's interesting that in that the day of the photo session, we essentially myself and Ian and the band just walked around. Hmm. We there was we we hadn't really planned it out and saying we'll go there, we'll go there, we'll go there. We talked about the general area because um, mm. we'd all walked around the area and we let's go down here and let's go down. But a lot of it was just a kind of um, what felt right on on the day to do it. And it wasn't a particularly bright, sunny day or anything like that. It was kind of slightly mm. overcast or whatever. It, it, I liked the randomness of it. We just sort of found places that, that sort of felt good and we we took pictures there. Yeah, and it's 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 with no disrespect to, to Ian, I think his photographs are great, but there is something like even in the image on the, on the, on the inner bag, with the band kind of scattered, uh, Edge and Larry are looking one way, Bono and Adam are kind of looking off. Like it's it's very unprepared image. It's a very unstructured image. It, there's a self awareness, but it's not it's not a an overt self awareness, or it's not overly mm. earnest or something. Something. No, no, it, and it's certainly not overly art directed. I don't, mm. you know, I don't, I don't remember Ian saying, "Oh, you stand here, turn around, look that way, do that, yeah, exactly. do this, do, do what I tell you." He just let them sort of. Yeah, and as you can see, Bono was always uh, one person who was kind of, in a sense, very aware of of his stance and how mm. he looked. Yeah. So he was kind of trying to bring that uh, that to the to the whole thing. Yeah. Well, while we're looking on on, on the inner bag, it's worth noting uh, that your your image there is in a and is in a particularly widescreen frame. Yes. We'll see that coming back in again, of course. Absolutely, and as of course the cover, if you open it out, is is a fairly widescreen picture as well this is this is something I, I want to draw particular attention to um because i i not having the vinyl in front of me i assumed that that october ended up being a gatefold because the front image um bleeds over into the back as a widescreen frame it looks beautiful when you open it up in fact i think it's got the pinstripe it's got the text either side like i think it's a really powerful image and in some ways if you took that image and put it on a square you know a square with the framing that you have, it would be the perfect um, counterpoint or, or precursor to, to Joshua Tree. Powerful. Yeah, well, I think I think we we had asked for it to be a gatefold sleeve, mm. um, and uh, as of course you two were essentially a new band to Island Records and hadn't sold enormous quantities of the first album, there was a sort of reluctance to 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 go the full hog. I think they sort of, as a balance, they said, "Well, you can have an in um, color pictures on the inner bag," um, and we tried to make as best as we could of that. Hmm. And I think the experience I still think was strong. If you took the original vinyl uh, and you had the front cover and you opened the bag and you had this picture of, of, of the guy, it somehow made it more real for the area it, because it was, as we said, unposed, un, unthought out and, and just this random guy and the dog put into the picture. I liked that effect. And I also liked the fact that in the way that the dog is kind of obscured by the, the posting and the guy's mm. leaning on. And Again, it's, it's not, you, yeah, it's, it's not a perfect photograph. It's, no, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not sort of like, oh, we stylize this, bring the dog this way, bring that way. It, I just like the randomness of it, that they're, in a sense, they're, they're balanced between the people that they're, they're in the area and them living there, that they're, the, they're in, in the background and he's in the foreground. I think that's quite a nice um, balance for the whole, for the whole thing. Well, going back into creative control and artistic control, the, the, this is the reason why I think this album is, is a very significant milestone. So we, we have 
everyone going on record and saying it wasn't the greatest cover and this and that. But what it led to was ultimately a far greater, if not complete and total artistic control of the U2 output. And that's, I think, you know, it's something you said in the in the boy episode that you know you, you you were pitching on every album cover you you didn't have a a, a ten year ten album contract like you were you were you were only as good as, as as your work yeah I mean most definitely and and you know I, I again I heard in retrospect that um and I believe it was true that Island Records um sent somebody from more or less the day that I after I had gone over to Island Records they sent somebody back to Dublin to say to argue with Paul and the band that this you know this cover should be scrapped and they should be Island Records should be doing the, the, the artwork and the whole thing and this is where I learned um, the strength of the band because I think the band and Paul said this is our cho- chosen cover go back and do it um, as we have given it to you um, and I think that's what happened. But again, the uh, ancillary bits like the cassette and that were, were done by somebody, probably not somebody in the art department because it's not particularly well well laid out when you look at the cassette. It's not, it's not a particularly good job of, of layout. I'd like, like to read this little piece from, from Edge. Uh, Edge says, I'm quoting him here from the YouTube by YouTube book, this is where YouTube's artistic control th- theory really came out and hit us on the arse. It's really not a great sleeve. But when the guy from the island art department came over to talk us out of it, to us the issue is not really the sleeve, it was artistic control. We were desperately trying to prevent a takeover of all these creative controls by Ireland. So we sent him back to London and told him it was in the contract, we could have the sleeve uh, that we wanted. I have to say he was absolutely right and we would have been much better off listening to him. Then again, we wouldn't have held on to the control that we had. So in the long run, maybe we were right. So... There's a lot in that. It's a quite a testament to to the vision that they had going forward and realizing the importance of keeping these things under their control, even if at the time or at whenever that book was written, that they still considered it to be a a, a bad sleeve. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, we never, we funnily enough, never had an in-depth conversation or a post-mortem on the cover where everybody said, well, why were we not happy with it? I mean, as I say, I was not completely happy with the typography uh, for the U2 October. Um, the picture, I wasn't that, um, I didn't feel as, as bad about it because it seemed to fit in with what was happening with other bands. If you look at the uh, similar covers from 1981 of other bands from that era, it's not out of sync with what the other covers were doing. I just think it could have been a little bit more subtly um, used of type. But at the time, I was, uh, I, th- I don't know whether it was Paul of the band uh, who kind of pushed for a more stronger identity, like the U2 in the title was much, much bolder. And as, as I said before, the first boy and October should have been swapped in many ways. Uh, you know, October should really be the debut album of a band to show you who they are and, and the name is very strong. But probably after the subtlety of that album cover, this one seems a bit um, forceful in, in a way that it may not have needed to be. Yeah, I mean, I think the people often refer to to Boy and War as having a sort of um, like a, cla- a classic or classicism associated with them and their endure, you know, enduring sleeves for the generations. And October is said to be more dated or rooted in, in the time. And I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. You know, again, these things are hard to say because you have the benefit of hindsight and, and 30, 40 years of the meaning of that record being galvanized by what that band became. And Yeah. 
Well, you know, Boy and War ended up with iconic images that they use as backdrops. There's not a lot here they could they could use as a backdrop behind the stage. Although, although there was quite a lot of photography taken that time that was used in in in, ver- in various points. But um, it's uh, you know, for me, as I say, it 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 wasn't as successful. And I I was kind of in a position where I knew well that Ireland had had. It wanted me out of the picture, so it was a kind of a difficult thing. I was kind of listening to other voices in in telling me what it should be and what it shouldn't be, rather than being stronger in my own uh, artistic endeavors and saying, "Look, no, forget this. Let's let's. This is what we should be doing." As I say, I think that if they'd gone with the image in the coal yard and a slightly different sense of typography, I think it would have been a more lasting cover. But the funny thing was. Um, I have to say, maybe a year later, um, when I was over in Island Records for some other meeting, uh, one of the people in the marketing department came up to me and said, um, we, we know you had difficulty with this, but in fact, we now feel that it was the right cover for the right at that particular time for them to do, um, which was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, or, <laughs> I don't know if it's like judging a book by its cover, judging a cover by its cover, you know, <laughs> like it's kind of like yeah. the album had to, I mean, again, the album is one that's, that's probably been the most sort of you know, forgotten about in a way, but like the album had to lay its foundations for the cover to 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 grow as well. Um, but I, I honestly think like it's D- Dublin is such an important place, and the Docklands is such an important place to that band that it's 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 a great thing to have immortalized on the cover in in that way that isn't the Hapenny Bridge or something. But there's something inherently Dublin about it. Yeah, and it's it's, spe- it's special to them because, as you say, uh, the studio was down there in, in that area, and they used to drink in the dockers and 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 play. So they inhabited that area quite quite strongly at that at that point, you know. Mm. And and Paul's Paul's um, office it was in Wimble Lane, and that you know, so no, they, everything was kind of in the way. And it is produced by Steve Lillywhite, you know. Mm. It's like it's not like it's a a badly produced album. It's it's got really a, the elements of it. No, the album I think is 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 it, it you know person. I mean, you know, not coming at it as a from a fan's point of view but i think the album is just a little bit unsure of itself i think that they even said you know they like they they had good songs they just didn't know how to finish them so there's a little bit of you know the paint never fully dried i think on some of the songs i think you know i think it's it still stands the test of time but you know we're not going to get too too bogged down in the the music side of things so you have you know you have this this struggle slight creative war with the label and and the band and paul and they you know, drew their battle lines and said, "No, this is this is where we where where we want to re- retain control." And you know, I'm just wondering at the time, like you, you mentioned a little bit your own sort of feelings around this time. But did you, you know, were you experiencing any sense of of doubt or doubting your own creative choices? Like, how did you f- feel around this time? And did you know well, this was happening? Did you? I mean, I know you said you went over and the label was talking down to you, but you totally privy to the fact that the band had to insist on this going to print and being the no, no not 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 immediately um i did find out um a week later or thereabouts that they'd come over and the band had sent them back with the, with the whole thing and i mean i actually thought at that time i was probably likely to be dropped for the next album cover but we had a very um interactive relationship about what was going on as i say i don't remember we never i don't remember ever sitting down with the the finished album cover and looking at it and everybody saying well this worked and this didn't work i think um as bono and edge had kind of as uh, especially bono that um i had designed the cover to his um what he wanted it to be mm. at that particular time and i felt that it was probably the right thing to do um 
I, I even noticed on some of the Boy album covers, it, it credits Bono as as, as co-designer on, on on the cover, which to a degree mm. um, he certainly was. I mean, and and mm. this one was very much something that he he wanted to. So it, I don't think they felt that I had sort of done something that was um, uh, sub subpar for them. It, I think that they felt that they had had not delivered uh, both musically and and graphically exactly what they really wanted it to be. Because I think they were slightly unsure of what the music should be at that stage as well. So I think it's quite difficult when you're when you're unsure about a certain element of the whole process that the other elements click into place. Well, I imagine, it, yes, it would have been very different if you'd come in and said, you know, here's my idea, uh, take it or leave it. But I think I think that is the thing about you two and you is that, you know, it was a democracy. It was a, a creative collaboration. Um, most things were developed in tandem with the band. So, you know, you guys were kind of in it all in it together. And actually, weirdly, I, 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 there's another quote in the Stealing Hearts book where it says that, you know, you two fought to retain the cover that they developed with Averill. And then it says in in, in brackets, uh, even against his advice. So there must have been a memory of maybe you saying you weren't so sure about this and, and allowing Bono and the band to, to, to drive the idea over the finish line. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fine. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, again, it's a long time ago, 1981. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, 40 years ago, but I just know that all through this whole process, Paul was very supportive of me um, and, and against anybody else. And I think he, he did understand completely that they would need to retain, if they lost control of this, then they'd start to lose control of, of the music as well, that people would start saying that, oh, we should remix this and we should do this and we should do that. And I think their contract was very explicit in that, that they had the final say on the music and they had the final say. They, they had a, a clause in the contract that allowed them to deliver the final masters and the final artwork. Hmm. And that, that, that was it. Well, they probably also, I think, thinking, thinking about your relationship never been a, a, a man with a great ego necessarily and i think that they probably appreciated that that you weren't going to come in you know swinging your ideas around and having some kind of no, no, notions you might say that, that they probably could see in you and particularly paul from a managerial point of view that you're always going to be on the team you're never going to step outside of that and get too big for your boots well you're always trying to do your very best work you can within the parameters of what you're going and the other thing to remember is the budget for this album kind kind of was tiny mm. uh i can't remember the exact fee but it was it was very small because um you know people now look back on you two 
as, as a band, the world-beating top band that they are now. Back then, they weren't. They could have easily have, have been dropped by Island Records after the second or third album because that the island stuck with them for like four or five albums before they began to see um, big sales it was the way record companies worked in those, especially with someone like Chris Blackwell, um, you know, who believed to a degree in, in the music uh, as much as he did with with the business side of, the, of of running a record label. Well, this is a very important thing to bring up at this point because, yeah, I think it's very easy to sit here and have, the, you know, again, the benefit of hindsight of 40 years of a band's career um, being, you know, the biggest band in the world or whatever. Like, they, they weren't that at the time. Um, they were just another, I mean, they were maybe a, a cut above the rest, but they were still just another band at that point. And maybe I, I wonder just to ask you, like, because I'm, I'm really curious to ask you of the point where you you really felt things were about to change. I can probably guess when that was, but I'm wondering at this stage, were you having some d- doubt about the future of the band or like where they were going? Did you see a little bit of murkiness in the direction? Mm, not in that sense, because they always had a great belief in themselves and they always had a strong work ethic. I mean, I've worked with bands in, in other times and still today you, you meet people in bands who don't seem to want to put the, you know, get up in the morning and get out there and tour and do the, the whole uh, thing that they need to do. These guys really worked hard at what they were doing. They knew they had to work hard. They knew if they were, if they're going to crack America, they had to get over to America and, um, uh, work their asses off. I mean, you number of people who somehow think that you two went from playing Dublin Dandeland Market to playing Madison Square Garden is, is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, there was a lot of work in, in playing small clubs, driving around a van in, in, in a lot of different venues, building up a fan base uh, all around America and in, and in Europe and, and, and the UK. They had become this, this major phenomenon in Ireland where they were topping the hot press polls um, and doing this, uh, you know, best live band, best album, building this huge D- Dublin base, and they translated that into, into uh, other territories. But that was, you know, they were committed to doing this, and I didn't think at that point, okay, this is the end of it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to do. I felt that if they'd been dropped by the record company, they would have worked hard to to um, move on and get another deal and, 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 and bring it from there. Well, maybe if anything, what we could agree on is that it puts a lot of not pressure necessarily, but it puts a lot of focus on what com- what was going to come next, which was war. Not that it was a make or break scenario, but that it it maybe became clear that it had to be a very strong step forward. Well, so the other thing that as well, um, just round out the the label gossip, but Bono said as well that Ireland's revenge for the band going against the wishes of the company was to f- uh, for the single f- um, fire which he says was released with a beautiful sleeve commissioned by an in-house designer and then quote that communicates absolutely nothing about the band. So yes, I, this is a, I just glanced at it there. It's like a, it's like an image of fire. There's a, there is actually a st- sort of strong widescreen aesthetic and a, Yes, uh, pin pinstripe border. Do you have any recollect- recollections of that coming out, or are you sort of bothered by it? Or- oh yeah, I, I I I remember, and and other singles came were designed by the by the by the label. Well, okay, so it's it's clear then that Paul is a very hard person to, at that point, argue with. And he's always struck me as being a very st- strong man in his conviction, a fair man, but a very strong man. But it seems like the label were still sort of pulling away a bit, even with this. Yeah, there's the fire single, and I think there was was it was it Gloria. Got another in-house single cover. 
Yeah, and I think eleven o'clock TikTok also was another one that 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 was done in, in house. Um, yeah. And and I I never even heard about them. It was not a case of can you come up with an idea and we'll we'll put it up against the band or the, or the label. I think the label just insisted that they did them, and and I I was not consulted. So to you, it really, just, it was just part of part of the business that, that you did. Yeah, it was what was going on in, in in the whole thing. I was ever really only consulted about the vinyl sleeve at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they would always adapt what, what came up, what I came up with for the for the vinyl to cassettes and things like that. Until a little bit later, where the, where we took more control of of everything that was was being done, because some of the reproductions that were coming out, as you can see with the boy sleep, were so so varied and so different mm. that they wanted this to be a consistent looking cover around the world. Yeah. Do you, was there anything else than anything you did outside of the sleeve at that point? No, I don't think so. Again, it was handled. Um, a, a a man called Chris Parks, who I met, Paul introduced me at a party in, in London, um, had a, I think it was Acme, ACME, and they were doing all the merchandising. And in fact, funny enough, um, they actually told me that the type of typography of U2 October was was fantastic for merchandising because it was very strong and, and, and the, you know, they did a lot of black and white imagery of pictures based around the covers and things like that. And they were very happy with, with that as a, a kind of piece of, of, of branding to, to use on. on, on. Um, but it was only um, around when the war album came along, that's when we began to do a lot more working on other elements as well as simply, um, I mean, even through this time, occasionally I would be asked to do a poster or something like that for a live gigs, but the record company were handling the press ads and doing all the other various bits and pieces. Other than the fact that it, it kind of suggests an introduction of this sort of cinematic widescreenness of, of Dublin and of that particular bay, uh, uh, lock, you know, where, where, they, where they did it and, and trying to get that element to work. But it didn't come across because the way the cover um, ended up being, uh, I think a gatefold would have been much more, I don't think people would have been as, as unhappy with the gatefold shot as they might have been with the folded over cover at the end of the day. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. That's that to me seems like a, a strange, unfortunate decision or 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 lack of decision. You might even say, yeah. Uh, I mean, it did it did lead to us um, kind of pushing for a gatefold sleeve on 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 war, but that's another chapter because that had its own problems when we got to that uh, stage with with the cover. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so but I, yes, I, 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 just to maybe close out on October then. And looking back at the the 2008 um, reissue, and you spoke a little bit about that, and you know wanting to kind of give it a give a a, a young a, you know a younger designer un, under your watch a kind of like a a fresh a fresh take on it, a remastering, if you will. And the decision was made to remove the white border and have the image fill. And and if you if, you know to, I think that's the if you go and look at the current releases uh, for October. You know the the border is gone, pinstripe's gone. I think that's a massive shame. I don't. I think it just totally lets the cover down. Yeah, there was there was there was a reason for it. There was thought thoughts and talk about it, but I was against it at the time. But I mean, the band were quite happy to go with the idea of it being of, of it being done that way. I think that we could have um, done something on the front and and just sort of list the original tracks plus type for you know plus many more or whatever. I don't know how exactly we, we would have phased it, but I think the integrity of what's there by having the white around it was for me an important part of the aesthetic of the cover and you, when you lose that 
you know, it's not quite as, as, as strong. Yeah, it's it, it to me, it's lo- it lo- it lasted. Although <clears throat> the rear cover of the reissue, I think, is done quite well. Um, they have split. I don't know if you have that or, or can remember it. It's split almost like two thirds. So the so the the image does still wrap around, and then all of the track titles are on the sort of far left of the of the rear. Yeah, yeah. But again, yeah. Uh, now the question there would be. Um, was that was the was the reissue a gatefold? I don't I can't remember. I don't have it. I don't think so. I no. think what 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 because if it wasn't a gatefold originally, I think they tended mm. to do things like put put a booklet or um, a lyric booklet or something in it to to give extra value for it. But I don't remember the reissue being a gatefold. Yeah, that just seems like they just a, a bit of a missed trick there and a bit of a sad kind of evolution of that cover. But again, it's one that seemed to have the least conviction behind it. So. Uh, maybe there'll be another version of it in another 10 years time you can put the border back in yeah. <laughs> well yeah we can possibly look at it again at that point yeah um, when they reissue it on you know uh, some some newfound format yeah, that we don't know about <laughs> crystal disc or whatever the hell it's going to be yeah. there's maybe less to say about October than there is some of the other ones but I do think it's important to acknowledge the fact that it did sort of lead to a greater sense of control going forward the next thing that comes up on the on the discography is a, is a non-album single called a celebration i don't think i was involved with that at all no okay because that was it's it's a sort of strange like uh optical almost like an optical effect cover with a a, a u2 logo and this kind of like sun sunburst which looks like it's uh, it, you know it's such a steve averill uh, design, logo design, but uh, now, I'm now learning that it wasn't you. So yeah, and I think if you look back, you will find that I think uh, uh, they also did later things like Pride and the, and, and that kind of like logo style mm. is re- reintroduced. Mm. Um, these were re- basically uh, done, done as a way to say, look, you know, we do this much better than your guy, so mm. you know, we, we can give you a great logo. You know, yeah, and I, th- I think that just really underlines what we've discovered here is uh, the the. The battle lines were drawn, but the label were still happy to cross over. Maybe they were consistently looking for a, a, an opportunity to to kick you out. And I'm guessing that moving into war, maybe that was uh, because it was again back to a really strong aesthetic that they, they kind of they retreated a, li- a little while. And then I'm not sure we can talk about this when we get there. But I'm not sure how the unforgettable fire debacle, you know, influenced the relationship. But that's a maybe that's a, a teaser for the future to keep people listening. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to talk about on, on on that level. But yeah, no, it was in. It, it was. Um, uh, it made us both realize that we need to up our game for the next time round. Mm. Um, and there was quite a lot of. It was a lot more uh, thought and and pre production ideas for for war because in both cases, in in the case of war and in the case of October, the title was fairly solid. Mm. Um, from the beginning, and we worked to a particular brief w- w- with the titles. Um, whereas that in later times, that was completely different. In later albums, there was forty t- titles suggested, and, and you were trying to work your way through all that mm. uh, to get it there. You know, so mm-hmm. it's a difficult way to, to see it. Alrighty. Well, I think I've run out of steam on that one. Um, <laughs> okay. Any closing thoughts or feelings that can bring us to the conclusion? I think that um, I read an interview there in in Hot Price magazine recently with Steve Lillywhite, and he seemed to have an affection for October as well. You know, when I did the guest spot on on uh, U2's radio show, I played a track from that album and said I'd listened to it for the first time in quite a while, and I actually thought some of the um, uh, 
the songs understand up a lot better than people uh, may, may think that I think it was, it's a good album. Uh, it's certainly a good second album uh, and led into a war, which was an important step for them. Well, in some ways, I wonder, will October get a reappraisal or will find its day, you know, later, later in the timeline? Not dissimilar to the way that Joshua Tree got reframed in 2017. There could be something there that the album, the, the forgotten album becomes more cherished in a way. Yeah, I think so. I've came across a review in the, what was it? It was in Sounds magazine, Dave McCullough. He quite liked the album, gave it a very positive review. Uh, I think actually it was a five-star review. And he has the concluding line, this October will last forever, which I quite like. In retrospect, I didn't probably have access to the kind of references that I that I was looking for at the time. Mm. So trying to find, uh, and of course, a couple of years later, I, I did come across a book of Soviet posters and things like that um, and, and understood the topo- topography that was being used and that would have been more successful. So if I was to redo it now, I would probably do a remix, remaster, and, and, and use some of the typefaces that I would like to have used. The, the typeface that's used on October um, hints at that kind of um, slightly Russian-esque feel mm. without being uh, really correct enough to, to, to achieve what I was hoping to achieve. I mean, I don't know if you consider yourself an artist who is, is ultimately never fully happy with anything. If any, you know. Well, a very... I'm actually trying to think who said it to me. Um Somebody I know uh, who I respected, whether it was in print or in person, said to me, if you're 100% happy with the design, give up. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not going to top that. So, no, there's always there's always bits and pieces. And generally speaking, um, there was always a mistake somewhere, if, even if it was just in small typesetting areas. You, something you didn't see when you did it, when you looked at it, when you sort of got the proofs back. But the moment it was printed, it was the first thing you spotted there was a spelling mistake or your name was left off or, or yeah. some kind of uh, element that you that you had wanted to go into it but didn't go into it. Mm. Of course, spelling, spelling mistakes now make things work, you know, their value increase about tenfold. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you're saying. I think if you're striving per, for perfection, you're you're almost restricting your your growth in a sense. Yeah, when it's also um, it I, it's a different situation to somebody like Vaughan Oliver, um, where he more or less has total control of the artwork, even more so than the artist or the label. When he all the wonderful covers he did for Four AD, mm. uh, because I was working in an environment. In Ireland uh, and Dublin, you are kind of subduing your own style to that of the artist. Because I, me- I remember even working with the Virgin Prunes, and uh, they would say to me, "We look, we don't want to look anything like you too." So you, whatever graphic styles that are totally identifiable, you have to uh, bury. Because if you had a totally identifiable style, after about three album pe- covers, people wouldn't want to work with you because they think everything begins to look the same. You know, so you have to kind of bring out something of the band into the the graphics rather than something of yourself although that is there yeah i mean i think you've opened up a interesting topic there even though we're coming coming to the to the close of this episode in in the sense that when you mentioned von oliver you know von oliver um or or people like russell mills who who in in many ways are maybe more to be considered as an art as an artist with 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 a very defined style that is that is um applied to the various projects that they work on whereas you are more more serving of the of the albums of the band on a 
basis, you know, on a per album basis or per release basis. So you're not perfecting Steve Averill, you're just perfecting your your craft and your approach and your um, ability to read a brief and to realize a band's personality and sound through the through the artwork. You're not you're not chipping away at your own personal grand uh, vision necessarily. So there's a difference there. I think that's just a long winded way of, of, of sort of saying um, every every album, you kind of hit a reset button in a sense, because whatever, yeah. you know, you obviously learn as you go, but you're not just doing Steve Averill. You're doing something that changes every uh, every album. Yes. And that has been episode three of U2Y. The next episode is, of course, all about War, U2's third album, which you can listen to right now. We here at U2Y would like to send our gratitude to Nadine and the good folk at Universal. And we would like to extend our thanks to Bono, Edge, Larry and Adam. For more information, you can go to stephenaveril.com forward slash U2Y or follow him on Instagram uh, forward slash Stephen Averill design. I'm Gareth Anton Averill. Thank you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.